Sunday evening communion service. At our Sunday evening communion service, uh, we have an open mic in order for folks to share answered prayer that just from their life, it could be in the last week, it could be 20 years ago. But the Bible says, Psalm twenty-two, twenty-two. it says, I will declare your praise to the assembly. And so we're literally being obedient to that at our Sunday evening communion services. It's also a time just to exercise spiritual gifts here. It's a time of prayer. And we have communion together, remembering uh, the death and resurrection of our Lord. That's this evening. If you can come on out to that, that would be great. It's always a wonderful time of worship. There's an extended worship time as well. So we are in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going uh, chapter by chapter through Ephesians. We are in verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. says this, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would show us, Lord, your heart when it comes to the subject of talking to you and listening to you, Lord. Prayer. I pray in Jesus' name. We pray in Jesus' name. I think we can all agree here this morning, Lord, that we want to pray, Lord Jesus, the way that you have taught us to pray in your word. We want to grow deeper. We know that's not going to happen, Lord, if we ignore you, if we give you the last fruits rather than the first fruits of our day and our time and our study. And so, Lord, lead us in this message today. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill all of us. Give us that understanding. I pray that I wouldn't be a hindrance, Lord, to what you want to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So I, start, I started this study a couple weeks ago, and I'm just going to repeat something that I said at that time, and then we will go from there. God cares about your health. He cares about how you feel. He, he cares about that promotion at work and how things are going at work. He cares about your grades at school. He cares, uh, he cares where you're going on your next vacation. He, he really does. And, and you should be bringing the Lord into all of those desires of your heart or those needs or those anxieties. You should be bringing him in to everything because he asks us to call him into every situation in our life. However, if your prayer life 
is all about, or even mostly about, 50% or more about your health, your promotions, your grades at school, your feelings, your next vacation, you can fully expect a life that is fruitless for God, that is barren, that is weak, uninspiring, unattractive, unexceptional, frustrating, and boring. Thank God that throughout the Bible, there are many places where we can learn how we should be praying. How to pray in such a way that we can fully expect the opposite, that we can expect a life that is fruitful for God, a life that is full, strong, inspiring, attractive, exceptional, joyful, and exciting. I'm not talking about a life free of pain, uh, uh, sorrow, and trouble, but we live in a fallen world that is filled with those things, pain, sorrow, and trouble. But overall, the legacy of the life of a man or woman who develops a lifestyle of prayer, praying the way the Bible teaches, the way God teaches, will result in a life that is strong, a life that is inspiring, attractive, exceptional, joyful, and exciting. The Bible teaches us, first and foremost, that our prayer life should be focused not on me, enough about me. We, we think plenty enough, we're focused enough on me, but on God, on His glory, and, and, and on others, most particularly, uh, the, the life, uh, that the life of God uh, would uh, be manifest in the others of our life. First and foremost, His glory. But then after that, the life of God in others. The life of God in our own life. And so a good example as any in the whole Bible, really, of how to pray is Ephesians chapter 3. It's right here. Starts off in verse 14. So go back a couple verses. Read with me in chapter 3, verse 14. Here he breaks out in prayer. He's in the middle of some other thought. And he just, Holy Spirit says, no, now I want you to pray right in the middle of this letter. And he says, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. In other words, God focus starts with God. And then the prayer continues. Verse 16. That He, God, would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height? And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so we took, we broke this, da- this prayer down into six parts. And so part number one, that you would be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner man, your inner woman. You want a life that is full, fruitful for God, exceptional, not frustrating, but blessed, exciting. This is how you pray. It starts off with God. We just read that. And then here it says you're praying for yourself and for others that you would be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner man, your inner woman. So as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, when you are saved, God creates a new man, a new woman in you, which Paul here calls the inner man. Uh, But as we mentioned, until we die, we will continue uh, to have that outer man, that outer woman. We called him, her, that freak. And whether or not the inner man or the outer man dominates your life will depend on whether you are feeding the inner man, the inner woman, with the word of God and prayer. God, strengthen my inner man with power through your spirit. Lord, strengthen her inner woman, her, her inner uh, woman with power through your spirit. That's the first part of the prayer. The second part of the prayer is this. That Christ would dwell in your heart through faith. That Christ would dwell in your heart through faith. So for your life to bloom and blossom, or the life of your brother or sister in Christ to blossom, or for that brother or sister who lives on the other side of the world, who's a missionary or or whatever, for their life to bloom and blossom, for it to be full, strong, inspiring, attractive, exceptional, joyful, and exciting, you must live in the reality, look at number two here, that Jesus is with you. And you will only do that by faith. And your faith, your sister in Christ's faith, your brother in Christ's faith must be prayed for. That Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. We must pray about that faith in your brother or your sister in Christ. Number three, that you would be rooted and grounded in love. Without love, all the faith in the world will profit us nothing. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, virtually every trial we find ourselves in requires a response of what? Love. Virtually every situation that you're in requires a response of love. Who on earth is capable of living such a life? No one. Only Jesus Christ can produce that life through you. It must be prayed for. Number four, that you would be able to comprehend with all saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. We saw that in verse 8. We saw that in verse 18. So the width and the length and the depth and the height of what? 
of God's salvation as it is described in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. And in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, what did we learn? We learned in verse 1 that you, if you have been born again into a relationship with God, it says in verse 1 that you are in Christ. It says in verse 3 that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It says in verse 4 of chapter 1 that you are chosen in Him. It says also in verse 4 that you are when he looks at you, however you may feel about yourself and however others may think about you or see when they look at you, it says at the end of verse 4 in chapter 1 that when he sees you, you are holy and without blame. It says in verse 5 that you are a son and a daughter. It says in verse 6 that you are the praise of his glory, meaning when all the angelic hosts look at you, they burst out in praise because of what God has done in your life. Now, you may think that's really weird. That, that's crazy. It's, it's difficult to get our mind to wrap around these things, but this is what the Bible says is the, um, the width and the length and the depth and the height of your salvation. It doesn't stop in verse 7 of chapter 1. It says that you are redeemed, meaning you have been freed from that sin which may be besetting you. It goes on in verses 9 and 10 saying that you now have access to actually know what the purpose of your life is and so on and so forth. It goes on and on in chapters 1 and 2 about the breadth, the, rather the width, the width, the length, how wide, long, and high, and deep is how I like to say it, is God's salvation in your life, is your salvation. It, it, it's described in this way. Well, we need to be praying for others that they would be able to figure all this out of how wide, and long, and high, and deep is God's salvation in their, in, in their life. And you need to be praying that for yourself that you would get it as well. Number five, it goes on, it says, uh, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. We need to pray for each other, for my brother, for my, for my wife, for my kids, for the pastor in my life, for the pastors, the leaders in, in my life, that they would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Now, what did we say about this one? Uh, if you have two 24-year-olds who are madly in love with each other, uh, try and look at them, try to describe to a six-year-old their feelings for one another. They could go into great detail, but is that six-year-old ever going to be able to understand those feelings? The answer is no. Similarly, you and me, we can only understand the love of Christ because it says it surpasses knowledge. It surpasses words. The best words to describe the love of Christ is the cross and Jesus' journey to the cross where he was spit upon, he was beaten, he was mocked. He was unrecognizable at the time he got to the cross and then he had a spike, an iron spike, go through his left hand, his right hand, and his feet. But even those words don't describe it. It takes the Holy Spirit working through a man or woman for the light bulb to go on 
and declare, wow, Jesus loves me. And we need to be praying for each other that we would understand and experience the the knowledge of Christ. And then the last one, that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, as I, you know, as I reflected further um, on this, on this last piece here, I, I, you know, I taught actually. I taught on this last Sunday in, in New York. It just, I, I really feel that what this is a reference to here, and I didn't mention this a couple weeks ago. It's, it's, it's really just another plea to pray for your brother or sister and yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, He says, if a father asks, I mean, if a child asks his father for bread, would the father give him a rock? If the child asks for an egg, would his father give him a scorpion? And then He said, if you being evil give good things, how much more your Father in heaven will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. God wants to give us this, but He also wants to be brought into every area of our life by us. In other words, He wants us coming to Him, asking Him. He's not just going to do it once we're born again. He wants to be brought in through prayer. From time to time, out of God's mercy, we don't even pray for things, and He brings stuff into His life. That, that's, that's the mercy of God. But in terms of expected answered prayer, we can only expect answered prayer as we ask and bring Him in. And so, uh, here's the deal. So what have we said several times? Was the kind of life we can fully expect from this kind of prayer life? We can expect a life that is not only full, strong, inspiring, attractive, exceptional, joyful, and exciting, but it's actually much more than that. Verse 20 says, we can expect a life, let's read verse 20, in which the hand of God is seen in a way that, verse 20 says, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. As we learn to pray the way God wants us to pray, we can expect a life in which the hand of God is seen in a way that is, verse 20, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Let's break down verse 20. It starts off how? Now to Him. So this prayer really is ending here. Now to Him. How did the prayer start off? Basically the same way. It was just um, uh, about God. It started off uh, in verse 14 where He says, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. It starts off about God, the focus on God. It ends with the focus on God. It begins with all eyes on God. It ends with um, all eyes on God. Same thing uh, in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus teaches His disciples how to pray. He says, Our Father which who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Starts off with the focus on God. And then it moves into sort of the realm of us. You know, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our uh, debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temp- temptation, but deliver us from evil. But then how does it end? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It starts with God. It ends with God. We're learning how to pray here this morning. This is what your prayer life, my prayer life, needs to look like. So back in in verse 20, it says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, let's pause. This is important. What this verse is saying loud and clear and what it is so important for us to understand when we pray is that when we pray, we have a very serious handicap. We are at a great disadvantage. We're praying for one thing, not knowing that God wants to give us something much greater. But not only much greater. Verse 20 says, exceedingly abundantly greater. That's a handicap. And, 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 it, and it's okay, because if there's one thing we're not, we're not God. <laughs> He's God, we're not. First rule of life. <laughs> You're not God. <laughs> I'm not God. And it's, and, and, and it's a healthy thing to go into prayer just remembering that, and that actually, okay, I'm praying for this, but somehow with humility... Believing that, you know, God wants to do exceedingly abundantly greater. And we need to just, it needs to, there, you hear sometimes the expression there needs, there has to be an attitude of prayer or a mind of prayer. And, and, and that's sort of the mind, the attitude of prayer, understanding that whatever you're praying about, that sense of awe and wonder that God wants to do exceedingly abundantly greater. Before the church began, when a few of us were in our living room and praying that God would start a Calvary chapel in the city, we had no idea at the time that God wanted to use us to bring, for the first time in the history of Boston, Christian FM radio. That, that would have been the most crazy thing to even think of. That didn't even dawn on us. Yet, we're almost exactly 30 days from that happening. We've got to keep on praying, by the way. When we were praying eight or nine years ago that God would lead us alongside of someone who was planning a Calvary Chapel overseas. We had been going to Peru each year, but Pastor Brian and Betty in Peru, they had seven or eight mission teams come every year. They were an established church, and and the Lord really started speaking to me, you need to go somewhere else. And we started praying about that. 
And lo and behold, there was an MIT student going here. Her name was Dina Pateau. I introduced myself to her one morning, and I said, well, what does your dad do? Oh, he's going to Haiti to start a church. We brought him up the next weekend because he was going in like 10 days. We fell in love with him, became the church, first church to support him, had been back two or three or four times a year um, ever since. And at the time, we were just praying to start a little church. We had no idea that within eight years, there'd be 1,500 adults and children coming every week. We had no idea that construction would be starting on a sanctuary for 2,500 people. We'd had no idea that there would be a computer school on the church campus with 800 students coming in every week and every class. A requirement, the last half hour, is about the Bible. You may have come to study your computer, but your last half hour is going to be about the Bible. We had no idea that there would a university would start on this church campus. There's a university on this campus now. We had not, no idea that this church would start not, any, not only one, not two, but three orphanages. And that the Bible teachings from the church would air on multiple radio stations throughout Port-au-Prince to the point where virtually anywhere you go into the city, they know. They know who Pastor Serge is. Uh, It was kind of comical. We were in, came, went to Haiti last November, and we had a huge thing of toys for the kids a Calvary Christian family, and you know, you always worry, are they going to stop us in customs? Because in customs, they'll think, well, they're just going to go in, they're going to sell all this stuff, so we're just going to take it. Of course, we weren't selling it, we were giving it to orphans, but there's just such a culture of corruption, unfortunately. That's why they're down there to try to change this, that, um, you know, when they get a hold, when they see this stuff, so they haven't checked my bags in six years. And so what happened uh, is that um, I lost my iPhone. And so everyone leaves except for me and is praying, Lord, please, my iPhone couldn't find my iPhone. That's not a good thing in Port-au-Prince. It's not a good thing here. And so we were the last people to leave, and so we leave, and I'm just a lame duck. Here I am with this big bag, this big duffel bag. This guy looks in it, and uh, this guy looks in it, and he opens up the bag. Mmm, oh, very interesting. All these brand new things here. And right as, as we're walking up to him, who comes? Pastor Serge. He's inside of customs. Why? Everybody knows him. <laughs> And, and, and so uh, this guy uh, is looking through this stuff, and Pastor Serge Goy says to him, do you listen on the radio to Voice of Truth? And, and he, uh, he, the guy goes, yes. He goes, well, I am that voice. The guy goes, oh, really? Yes, I'm Pastor Serge. The guy closes up my bag and is handing it back to me. We weren't ripping. What we were doing is perfectly legal. I mean, this was perfectly okay. We weren't getting done any favors. We were giving it um, um, away, which is perfectly legal there. But we had no idea about a university, about a computer school, about a sanctuary with 25. When we're just praying, Lord, just can you bring us along some a man and woman, a, a husband and wife planning a church somewhere in the world? We had no idea. And so when we go into prayer, there needs to be that sense of wonder. And so, I, you know, I imagine really a lot of times when you, when me, when we pray, we, we, we go to God and, and we say, Lord, God, at Calvary Chapel in the city, 
Start a Bible study to the Spanish-speaking community. And we don't know that God's saying, oh, I can do a lot more than that. Or when we go to him and, and, and we say, Lord, uh, start up again our, our ministry over there in the projects and missions. Start that up again. And he's saying, oh, I can do a lot more than that. And when you pray, when you pray to the Lord, you and me, we need to recognize this with awe and wonder. But the verse doesn't, uh, the, the verse doesn't stop there. It says he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And what does that mean? Well, it's talking really much more about well, he can answer the prayer request in with much bigger in a much bigger, greater way. It's also that he is able to work in ways that we're incapable of even thinking about. For example, I'm very grateful for the space that we have here in Longwood Galleria. I tell people all the time, you know, most churches, they have to go for years and years and become a mega church before they have a food court. We moved in. <laughs> Um, with a food court, how about that? That the God does more than <laughs> more than we ask or or imagine. But you know, I it's my heart, and and I believe it's God's heart to get us into a building out into the community, a building that we can meet up in twenty four seven. I don't know when that's going to be, but here's the trap that I find myself into. You know, when I'm praying, I'm always thinking, Lord, in order for us to get a building somewhere in this absolutely insane real estate market in Boston, obviously that market, real estate market, needs to crash. <laughs> but guess what? What's the problem with that prayer? God has ways of working that I can't even think about. And, and so when we pray, so important to, start, to stop presuming upon the Lord. God, this is the only way you can get it done, Lord, and I'm waiting. Come on. It's like putting a gun to God's head and holding him hostage. You know, He can do exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or think. So listen. God wants you and you and you and you and you and you and you. He wants to do something in your life which is exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. Now that doesn't mean that, he, that we always get what we ask for in the way that we ask for it. I was with a, a dear brother and sister, Stephanie and I, uh, this week talking to them about, I, I have no doubt that when John the Baptist was in prison, I have no doubt his disciples were praying for his release. I can't imagine what they thought when he dies in such a, what's the word, ignominious? Is that a word? Is this a word like that? 
in, in such just a, a, a terrible, awful, ugly way. I mean, is this any way for one of God's saints to die for, you know, the, the daughter of this woman who uh, had, had the king had brought in against the Jewish law and the, the, uh, the, the, the woman asked for the head of John the Baptist and, or, you know, through the daughter and they go and cut off his head and present his head on a platter to king and all of his friends in the middle of the party. How can that be the Lord? That's not more than I ask or imagine or ever think. So, so we, need to be, we need to be always remembering that God has the final say. But back to the heart of the message, God wants to do something in your life which is exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. But listen, there's a condition to all this. Prayer comes with a condition, or I should say, yes, expected prayer. Expecting answer to prayer, there are a number of conditions to that. We spoke about that in, in 1 John. But there's another condition right here. Remember, we're learning on how to pray. And one thing we learn from these verses is that whether or not God does something through your life, which is exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think, depends on something. On what? Depends on your motive. The Bible says you ask and do not, you do not receive. Why? Because you ask amiss. Now, none of our motives will ever be... Uh, this side of heaven, none of our motives will ever be pure. Let's just get that out of the way. We're fallen sinners. We can be walking and seeking and striving in prayer to the place where we have the right motive. When you pray, what is the purpose of your prayer life? What is the purpose of your prayer it's the motive of your prayer, the purpose. Well, Pastor Steve, you've already answered that. We pray because we want a life that is full, strong, inspiring, attractive, exceptional, joyful, and exciting. Eek. No. <laughs> that cannot and must not be the purpose of your prayer life. Prayer life. Listen, that's the byproduct. That's the, that may be a result. When I'm driving a car... The purpose of the gasoline is to have me moving forward. It's not all those fumes in the back. Maybe that's a bad analogy because we don't like whiffing on those fumes. But there's some incredibly wonderful byproducts to a God-centered prayer life. But your motive for prayer life cannot and must not be so that you can have a strong, inspiring, attractive, exceptional, joyful, and exciting life. There can only be one motive, and that's in verse 21. It says, to him be glory. To him be glory. The purpose, the end, the goal, the motive of your prayer life must be the glory of of God. Ephesians 3.21 says, To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.
men. Isaiah 43, 7 says this. Everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. It's in sort of the middle of a statement. Everyone that is called by my name, I have created for my glory. Now, I debated whether to get into this, and God help me, I'm going to try to get into this because it's, it can be a little difficult to understand, but Richard Dawkins, who is the primary spokesman in the world for atheism, militant atheism, looks at verses like these, and these are throughout the Bible, by the way, and he says, we should not follow this God. He is an egomaniac. Actually, the word he uses is a megalomaniac. A mega, a mega egomaniac. He looks at this verse and he says that. And it's a good question. Why is God so obsessed about his glory? Richard Dawkins says because he's a megalomaniac. But you need to be prepared to have a defense for the faith that you have. You need to be prepared, particularly in the city of Boston, to defend that. Why does he th say things like this? Well, let me, let me answer like this. <clears throat> we had a forum here on evolution one time. We had a creationist uh, speak here. And... One of the, the Boston Atheist Society came, the Boston, Boston Skeptic Society came, and one of the people in the audience asked the speaker, Dr. Nathaniel Jensen, asked them, if God created everything, who created God? Well, that's a very good question. But it also points to an underlying erroneous or wrong assumption. It just, it, 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 it assumes that God and men are in their, God and man are fundamentally the same thing. And the problem is, God is God and man is man. God has always existed and always will. Man is a created being. Same thing with this question. Why does God go around saying, I, everyone I've created, I've created so they'll give glory to me. Well, he must be an egomaniac. They have a fundamental misunderstanding of God, of who God is and who man is. Man is imperfect. Man is sinful. Man is a created being. God is the creator. He is perfect. He is all merciful. He's all good. He's all justice. And so think about it, and I hope your minds don't bend too much here. If God is good, if he is perfect, if he is altogether righteous with what the Bible says, it would be wrong for him not to want everyone on earth to worship him and give him glory. That would be wrong and sinful if an all-perfect, all-good, all-righteous God did not want that. Is everyone with me? Sort of, kind of. And it's a lot easier to understand in the, in, in the context of, you know, my experience, I'm 52, 
my 52 years of life, is that any time, any person, any venture, any business, anything starts, is operating in a way where the primary objective is not glorifying God, eventually it starts to fall apart. And eventually there's problem, problems, and eventually death starts to work its way into it. The, re- the reason God wants glory is because he's God and it's, it's, it's part of who he is, but it's also the best thing for you and it's the best thing for me. If we want a life that is strong and exceptional and, and, and not boring, not frustrating, filled with joy, fruitful for God, we will live for the glory of God and we will pray. Our motive for prayer will be the glory of God. Let me just close with this. This is a story. I'm a, I'm a basketball fan, an NBA basketball fan. I get to watch many games, but every night I go on to ESPN scores and read a bunch of stories and read the scores. Last year, the coach of the New Orleans Pelicans, his name is Monty Williams. He took a team that was young and immature and inexperienced, and he took them to the playoffs. Incredible. No one expected this team to go to the playoffs. He took them to the playoffs. They were beaten in the first round of the playoffs, and what, is, what did the management of the team do? They fired them. And the media was outraged. All the fans were outraged. I was outraged. And so they, they, they go to this guy, and they're trying to get him to dump on his owners. They're trying to, you know, they just want some good garbage that they can dump because everyone was furious at the owners. What did he say? He said this, and then, by the way, you can, you can uh, go on YouTube and see this. It's just wonderful. Actually, some guy actually went to his house, <laughs> knocked on his door. So when they interview him, he said this, God has always been in control of my life. Romans 8.28 is in my heart right now. All things work out for people who are called by Jesus Christ. God brought me through too much to complain and be bitter. That was, that was about nine months ago. By the way, the team that beat him in the first round of the playoffs went on to win the championship. It's now considered one of the best teams that ever played. This man was seriously wronged. But that was nine months ago. Last week, his wife was driving down the road with three of his five children, his wife of 20 years, and a driver coming the other way, driving 92 miles an hour in a 40-mile-an-hour zone, went head-on into her, killed her. And thank God three of the kids lived, but they're all in critical condition. So last week, just a few days ago, Monty Williams, this man, he stood over the body of his wife of 20 years, Ingrid, 
the mother of his five children, Lael, Faith, Janet, Elijah, Micah. And this is what he said. Having only been a husband for ten months now, I watch with heartache and admiration. And this is, I'm sorry, that was the writer of this article. So um, this is, the writer of the article was uh, uh, about Monty Williams, started it off by saying, having been a husband for only 10 months now, I watched what was going on with heartache and, and admiration. And, and this, is what, um, this is what Monty Williams uh, actually said which is filmed, he said this. He's been married for 20 years. What we've gone through is pretty tough and it's hard and we want an answer and we don't always get that answer when we want it. But we can't lose sight of the fact that God loves us and, that, and that's what my wife lived for and that's what I try to do, however badly, and that's what I try to do on a daily basis. God loved me so much that he sent his son, to die for my sins. The Bible says that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. America teaches us to numb that and says it's not true, but it is true. This is going to work out. That doesn't mean it's not going to be hard and painful, but what we need is the Lord. Then he said this, Monty Williams, everyone's praying for me and my family, but let us not forget that there were two other people in this situation in the other car driving 95 miles an hour. And that family needs prayer as well. And we have no ill will towards that family. In my house, we have a sign that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We cannot serve the Lord if we don't have a heart of forgiveness. And so what happened with all of this? It's on the front page and the home page of every major media network because they can't avoid this. They can't avoid covering this story. And so what happens? God is glorified. Where else do you find this? Everybody else Every other religion that I know of, they cry for justice when this thing happens. And, and, and here we have a man pleading with people. Look, you've all been praying for me. Please pray for that other car and the people who are in that other car. God was glorified. The prayer life that Monty Williams pleaded for other to be focused on is, 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 is others. It was God-focused. It was glory of God-focused. Listen, your life is not about you. When tragedy comes, when affliction comes, or even when great things come, they're still, they're not about you. Ephesians now is going to move and take a completely different direction in chapters 4 and 5. There's a lot about family. There's a lot about sin. There's marriage. Your marriage is not about coming home and having a comfortable time with your kids and a loving time around the table and playing with your kids. That's a byproduct of your marriage. Your marriage is about the glory of God. 
and, and, and being a reflection of the kingdom of God, of, the, of God's glory. Same thing in your workplace. Same thing in, in, in your neighborhood. Ephesians is going to get into all this. The first three chapters are, this is who you are in Christ, and this is who, um, uh, how you pray. And then the last three chapters are, and now this is how you live. Now that you know all about who you are and how great God's salvation is, this is how you live. God's glory. He says in verse 21, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. To him be the glory. To him be the glory. To him be the glory. You know that every, God made every single man, woman, and child with something in them to long to break out in praise like that. Now the problem is, is, is that unredeemed, unsaved man doesn't know God they're still given glory because they were made to give glory. They're given glory to athletes, to authors, to, to politicians, to, to rock stars. I remember I was in school uh, decades ago. I was in school, in college. I took African, African-American history. My roommate and I, only white dudes in the class. I've been in many classes where I was the only white dude. Um, I loved those classes, but it was African-American history. So I went off and I, uh, we, I, I, he, my, my roommate James and I, we did a project. We went into African-American churches, black churches. And uh, we were the only white people there. And man, they were having a good time in that service. They were whooping and hollering and raising their hands to God. So when I came back into the class, I, 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 the, the teacher said in front of everyone, so what was your experience like at these churches? And uh, they said, man, they, they were like whooping and hollering. It was like being, it, it was like, reminds me of the rock concert I was in last week. Right in front of the whole class, the teacher says, it shows what you're worshiping. And that's what I was worshiping at the time. It absolutely was what I was worshiping. Everyone was made to worship. When you were out t- talking to people about God who do not believe in God, remember, they were made to give glory, to worship. We were all made to break out with this over-the-top praise like we see in verse 20 and 21. Now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory. We're all made for that. Our problem is we get distracted. We, we worship idols that are brought into the, that the world brings into our lives and, and we're not able to do the very thing we were created for. Give glory to God. That's why we were supposed to pray the way this tells us to pray. Because this is the result. It's not only a life that's strong, exceptional, blessed, fruitful for God, joyful and exciting. It's it's a, a, a life that has the ability, the capacity to to break out in praise to God, a piece of heaven on earth. That's what will be the result as we learn to pray how God teaches us to pray. Okay, I'm going to close now. If the worship team could come up. Let's sing a praise song.
pray for the worship team. They're going to lead us in a praise song where we are going to praise like Guritu. Can you lead us in a worship song where we're going to praise and break out to the glory of God like that? Listen, if you have been asked to pray, if you could come up and if you, if, you know, I've been speaking here and you're like, and, and you're thinking something's stirring on away in your heart and you're thinking, I want that glory. I want that place where praise just erupts in my life from time to time. By the way, nothing short of heaven is that going to be a continuous thing. Again, the world, there's pain, there's sorrow, and there's trouble. But there's also a peace of heaven on earth. Jesus said, pray to the Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. We can taste. We can get a taste of heaven. But if you want that, if you want a richer prayer life, if you want a life of prayer where you're, uh, where you're understanding the heart of of God. Please come up and pray with us as we sing our final worship song. And if you have never come to the place in your life where you've invited Jesus in, when, when, we, when I speak up here about praising God like the way you praise a rock star, you're like, I don't know nothing of that. It probably means You've never come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And you come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's a very simple thing. Man tries to complicate it, it's a very simple thing. The Bible says Jesus knocks at the door of your heart. Saying, if you let me in, to the throne of your heart, get off the throne yourself and let me in, I come in, I will dine with you, I'll eat with you. And then right at that point, you're saved for all eternity. If you've never done that, if you've never opened up your heart to Jesus, come on up and we'll, we'll have prayer teams here praying for you. But let's rise and we're going to uh, just close the time with a worship song and I'm going to pray right before we worship. Father, we just thank you for this. And pray one more time, Lord, Father. You, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family on heaven and earth is named. Lord, I pray that you would give us this church, Calvary Chapel in the city, as well as all the churches in this city, according to the riches of your glory, that you would strengthen us with might through your spirit in our inner man, our inner woman. That your son Jesus Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. That we, being rooted and grounded in love, we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height of your salvation. And that we, Lord, that we would know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. That we would be filled with all the fullness of God, Lord, now to you. You're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to your power which works in us, to you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations. Amen.